Last weekend, they ran a story on NPR saying this is the season of press releases announcing which coveted speakers will appear at college and university campuses this uh, commencements this spring. The big question, though, is not who would speak, but whether anyone would remember what they said. A college president interviewed on this segment said that it's like remembering the sermon that the preacher gives at your wedding. People are just thinking about other things. That's certainly been my experience with weddings, and it's a bit like that on Easter as well. Whoa, is there a lot going on this morning? The children's choir, the bells, the drums, the trumpet, the hallelujah chorus, an egg hunt, a maypole, whatever else you have going on today. The college president mentioned that one commencement speaker actually said, I'm going to tell you a couple of startling things today, and I promise that you will forget them. The president's advice to commencement speakers is to say something funny, perhaps quote Scrooge McDuck, and then get in and out fast enough so even if they remember nothing about the speech, the audience can say, at least he was brief. <clears throat> well, I googled Scrooge McDuck. He doesn't seem to have anything to say about Easter, but I'll be brief, and I promise you that I will tell you a couple of startling things. John's Easter story started in the early morning darkness. It's Sunday, and Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb where she knows the body of the crucified Jesus was laid to rest on Friday. When she sees the tomb is empty, she concludes the obvious. Someone has stolen the body. What else could it be? She runs to tell Peter and the other disciple, and they run to the tomb to confirm what Mary told them. The unnamed disciple believes, but we aren't told what he believes. John explains that the disciples don't yet understand scripture. They just turn around and head home. Apparently, all they believe at this point is that Jesus' body is missing. Mary's still trying to locate the body when she finds the man she thinks is the gardener, or rather, he finds her. He calls her by name, and something illogical, something impossible happens. The one who was certified dead greets her. Stunned, she can only say, Rabuni, which is something like teacher. She grabs for him, which seems like a very normal response. A tearful hug is in order, right? But Jesus says, do not hold on to me, or don't cling to me. Now this seems harsh, but rather than a rebuke, Try imagining his words as a teaching moment. Mary, you can't cling to Rabuni, to what I was on Friday. You can't hold on to what is dead and gone. This risen Christ is surprising. He is beyond our control. Craig Barnes writes, following Jesus is a never-ending process of losing him the moment we have him captured, only to dis discover him anew in an even more unimaginable form. So the first startling thing I'll say this morning is that in spite of the egg hunts and the Easter brunch and the ham dinners, in spite of the beautiful music and the predictable words we say here on Easter morning, 
part of the Easter message is not cozy or comfortable or reassuring. Part of the Easter message is that the risen Christ is surprising and challenging and out of our control. Throughout Lent here at First Presbyterian Church, we've been looking at vulnerable love, the kind of love that takes risks, the kind of love Jesus reveals again and again in the gospel stories. We invited the congregation to read a book by social science researcher Brene Brown. Brown writes that vulnerability is the key to the belonging and the love and the connection that we all want and so desperately need. Recently, Brown made a short video describing how the breakdown or spiritual awakening that led her to her conclusions about vulnerability also led her back to church after a long absence. She begins by saying she really thought she had control over everything. Her therapist told her that she needed a bracelet that said, let go and let Brene. And then she hit what she calls a midlife unraveling. All the books said to go back to church, so she did, but she says she went back for the wrong reasons. She says, I went back to church thinking that it would be like an epidural, that it would take the pain away. But once she was back at church, she was confronted with challenging and unpredictable things, things like forgiveness. The dean of her Episcopal church said that in order for forgiveness really to happen, something has to die. Maybe it's just your expectations of a person, or maybe it's a little bit of your own ego. But there has to be a death for forgiveness to happen. Brene found this both hard and helpful. Brown says she's always believed that God is love, and it started making sense to her that Jesus was the Son of God. She says, People would want love to be like unicorns and rainbows, and so you send Jesus, and people are like, oh my God, love is hard. Love is sacrifice. Love is eating with the sick. Love is trouble. Love is rebellious. And so she says church was not like an epidural. It was like a midwife, she says, who just stood next to me saying, push supposed to hurt a little bit. And I got it, Brown says. Love is not easy. Love is not hearts and bows. I thought Faith would say, I'll take the pain away and the discomfort away, but what it ended up saying was, I'll sit with you in it. And I never thought until I found it that that would be enough. But it's perfect. What a surprise. The risen Christ is surprising, unpredictable, disorienting even. Jesus calls and Mary's world and ours is broken open. He shows up with more hope than we can handle and our expectations about what's believable and what's unbelievable or what faith is supposed to do or love is supposed to look like are left in shambles. It is a new day. It is a new day and Mary will never be the same. She exclaims, 
I have seen the Lord. And here's the other startling thing that I'll say this morning. Her words are not a recitation of church doctrine. They are the cry, the song, the howl of pain, and the shout of joy of experience. You don't memorize these words and recite them in Sunday school. You don't sit at a computer and tap out, Jesus is risen. What the four gospel accounts of the first Easter morning have in common is that they know this story is unbelievable, and yet they struggle to express in words an experience that is beyond words, but very, very real. Resurrection, my friends, isn't something you believe in. It is something you experience. Serene Jones writes that Jesus comes as a presence that reaches beyond our mind and touches our lives in ways that are felt, touched, tasted, smelled, heard, and seen. It's not logical, it's not rational, it's not natural, which makes it harder for us to see beyond our own expectations. And in our world, it's often easier to expect death and hopelessness. We see those all around us. Death is natural. Hopelessness is natural. Grief and loss and despair are natural. In the news these past few weeks and always, we see too much death. Ferry and plane and bus accidents, random traffic shootings, a bus station bombing, an avalanche, and loss of loved ones right here in our own community. One of the more troubling aspects of Easter is that when we look around us, when we look at our world this morning, it can seem as though there is precious little evidence that resurrection changed anything. But what the gospel stories say is that it changes us. The most compelling proof of Jesus' resurrection may be found in the transformation of his first followers from weeping fearful mourners into bold activists who went everywhere and told his story, shared his teaching, and brought healing and hope to people who were sick and tired and hungry and lost. Resurrection happened to them. Resurrection happens to us. And then we perform it. The church enacts it with more hope than we can handle, and with the hard work of love in risky, daring, vulnerable acts of love through which God changes the world one heart, one life at a time. Someone has said that the job of the church on Easter is the angel's role. We stand at the mouth of an empty tomb and announce, he is not here. He is risen. You can come in and look around, but you won't find him here. Go back to your lives, to the ragged, lovely places where you try to love and make meaning and make money and send your daughter to college and visit a grave and scream alone in the car and throw things and wonder if the dress makes you look fat and if your children will turn it all out all right in the end or if you will. Go back there. That is where you will find the God who gives life to the dead. He is on the loose. 
and he knows our names. Amen and hallelujah.